First Corinthians, First Corinthians chapter three. <clears throat> We're going to be focusing on verses nine to fifteen this morning, even though we read all the way for, to, through the end of the chapter. The reason we're not really going to spend time in verses 16 to 23 this morning is that in 16 and 17, Paul talks about, uh, about God's temple, and we're going to talk more about uh, the church being God's temple in chapter 6. So we're going to save that until then. And then for the rest of the chapter, Paul goes back and reemphasizes again uh, that godly wisdom is better than worldly wisdom, and we've already covered that, so we're not going to spend any time on that here this morning. So we're going to be focusing, like I said, on verses 9 to 15. And uh, I want to pray for us before we dive into God's Word. So let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your Word. Thank you for speaking to us through it and for changing us uh, by the work of the Holy Spirit as we spend time in it. And I pray that that would be what happens here today. Uh, that one, we would have a desire to hear from you. That we would be willing to change aspects of our life to to meet what we see in your word and lord that we would be people who are so well steeped in it that uh, we use it to push back darkness we use it to speak hope and and truth and life into the world would i ask all this in your son's precious holy name amen so last week at the beginning of first corinthians chapter three we saw where Paul confronted the Corinthian church with the, their issues of spiritual immaturity. And Paul pointed out the reason that there was division in the church, so they're arguing about which teacher they like best. I follow Peter, I follow Apollos, I follow, follow Paul, I follow Christ. Uh, the reason why there is division over that is because they're acting as spiritual infants instead of uh, maturing in their faith. And I mentioned... And that spiritual infants often fall back into the life that believers are called to leave behind. When we come to faith in Christ, we're called to take off the old person and put on the new person. But when we are young in our faith, we often have a tendency to fall back into that old life. I mean, we're never free of sin. It never completely goes away. But we tend to fall back into it more readily when we are immature in our faith. So they're, the, those who are spiritually immature, they're going to... Uh, commit a lot of the same sins that they committed before coming to faith in Christ. Right? They're going to be self-centered rather than focusing on the uh, needs of others. They're impatient. They're judgmental. Uh, at this point, when we're, we are spiritually immature, there's not a lot of movement towards Christ. Right? The Holy Spirit is going to move us towards Christ. If we are in the faith, then we are going to see movement towards Christ. But when we are young in the faith, a lot of times that doesn't happen quickly. Uh, but when we move towards Christ, we are inevitably going to see that spiritual maturity develops among the people of God. And so when we have been in the faith for 40, 50, 60 years and we see no movement towards Christ, we should be concerned. Right? Is there actual faith there or was it a prayer that was prayed and someone gave you assurance of salvation, but there's no, there's no growth, there's no evidence of Christ's redeeming work in your life? Then we should be concerned. But it is possible to be immature in the faith. It is possible to have struggles with getting away from the world and moving towards the kingdom of God. But as we mature in our faith, that's where we begin to see the church move together in unity. Right? People stop being self-centered. People stop focusing on their own needs and their own wants, and they start looking outward out of themselves to the needs and the wants of others. People become less concerned about their own preferences. 
this is how I've always worshipped. This is how I want to continue worshipping forever. Right? And people become more concerned about reaching people for Christ. So if we need to change some things, then we will do that because we want the, the methodology, methodology can change. The message never changes, but sometimes we have to change our method so that we can reach a changing culture. And when we begin to sacrifice for one another, that's a sign of spiritual maturity. An immature person wants their way all the time. A spiritually mature person is willing to lay down their desires for the desires of others. And when we pursue one another, that is a sign of maturity in Christ, right? When someone is going off the path, when they're beginning to fall into sin, they're being blindsided by sin, we, we pursue them in love. We desire to see them come back to Christ. And so we will go after them in a good way, like I said last week, right? When we're talk, not talking about pitchforks and, and torches, right? We're talking about gentle reproval of what they're doing. Say, come, please come back. We want you back. And then when we repent of our sin, that's also a sign of spiritual maturity. Someone who is spiritually mature, they don't see that they're wrong. They don't see that they're falling off the path of righteousness. But those who have the Holy Spirit in them should have conviction of sin when we, when we fall off the path. We, when someone confronts us with, hey, this is how you talk to this person and this is how Christ says you should talk to that person, you should repent. You should seek forgiveness. Spiritual maturity says you're right. I have, I have failed that person. I have failed to honor Christ and how I re reacted to them. And so I need to pursue forgiveness. I need to repent. And then on the other side of that, when we forgive one another, when we have been sinned against, that is a sign of spiritual maturity. Uh, spiritually immature people hold grudges. Spiritually immature people hold on to the hurt. Right? Christ, as he's being murdered on the cross, seeks forgiveness for those who are murdering him. And if he can seek forgiveness for that, surely to goodness we can seek forgiveness for someone who spoke harshly to us or embarrassed us in front of someone else. Uh, we don't need to hold that grudge forever. If we are willing to hold that grudge forever, it is a sign of a lack of forgiveness on our own part, right? Where we haven't been forgiven. Or it's a sign of spiritual immaturity. So when we forgive and when we seek forgiveness, it is a sign that we have m matured in our faith. And none of this is happening here in the Corinthian church. And so Paul says, you're lacking spiritual maturity. Now, he's been gone for three or four years at this point, And he's saying, you haven't changed. You haven't grown in your faith. He said they're acting like the world as they felt envious of one another. And as they were creating strife, arguing which teacher was the best. Right? They're trying to elevate themselves up based on who they follow. Right? If they saw Paul as being a better teacher than Peter and they say, I follow him and you follow him, so I'm obviously better than you. He's saying you're acting like the world when you, show, when you act in envy and you are showing that you are willing to create strife for something as silly as which, which teacher you prefer. And he pointed out that they should be able to receive deeper teaching about the kingdom of God. They should be ready and willing to dive deeper into the knowledge of God, but unfortunately, they're still on spiritual milk. Right? They can't handle the deeper, heavier things about the faith. They have to go back again to the things that they have already been taught, and they can't move beyond that because they haven't applied those teachings to their life yet. And so Paul says, it, you should be beyond this by now, but yet here we are. We're still in the spiritual milk, and I can't give you anything other than that. And Paul wants them to understand, like the people that you're fighting over, 
the people that you're willing to divide the church, to break unity in the church over, they're just servants of God who are working for the benefit of the church. Those teaching about Christ are not the point. If they make themselves the point, then there's something very, very wrong. Christ is the point. Christ is always the point. And Paul uses then an agricultural metaphor to show how God is the point when he said that all he did was he planted the seed of the gospel for them. He presented the truth. And then Apollos comes along and he waters the seed. And that's it. That's all that we have the power to do. We, we put the truth out there in front of people or we water the truth that someone else has planted. And that's it. We cannot do anything other than that. They didn't make the, the seed grow. They were just willing to share the information. It's God who changed the hearts of the Corinthians. It's God who changed their lives and creates spiritual growth in them. It's foolish to focus on the one that is teaching. But we need to be focused on the one that is being taught about. It is God who should be getting all the honor and praise from the Corinthians, not those who are teaching them about God. But there is a certain level of honor and respect that should come from those who are teaching, right? We see that throughout the scriptures as well. But we are not the point. Christ is the point. Now, that's not to say that the actions of Paul and Apollos aren't important. It's, it's extremely important for people to mature in their faith the way that Paul and Apollos have. And it's also extremely important for those who have matured in their faith to pour themselves out into other people so that they can mature in their faith as well. This is what we've been talking about in men's group for the last couple of weeks. We've been talking about discipleship. We've been talking about having someone that's above us in their faith, reaching down and pulling us up to where they are. And then we then reach down to someone that's younger, more spiritually immature in their faith. And we try to bring them up to where we are. So we always have a Paul and we always have a Timothy. And we're always pulling one another, trying to move towards Christ in all that we think, say, and do. Those who are mature in their faith have to pour themselves out for the benefit of other people. Paul's going to talk about the importance of that in our passage this morning. He's going to, we're going to see him change up the metaphor. Right? Last week was agricultural. This week it's going to be architectural as he talks about the work of building up the temple of God, which is the church. Right? We as believers in Christ are the temple of God. We've got the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And he's going to talk about building up the temple of God by building on the foundation of Christ. We're going to see that in verses 9 to 15. So let's take a look at that again. So in verse 9 is where we see the the metaphors being spoken of here. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I've laid a foundation as a skilled master builder and another builds on it. But each one is to be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any foundation other than what has been laid down. That foundation is Christ Jesus. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will experience loss, but he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And so what we're seeing here 
is that Paul is saying he is not a lone ranger in building up the church of Christ. He says that he laid the foundation of the church in Corinth by focusing on Christ. There is no other foundation of the church. Jesus is the foundation. His life, death, and resurrection, that's, that's everything. Everything rests on His life, death, and resurrection. Without the Son of God stepping out of heaven and living the life that we needed to live, without Him dying the death that we deserve, without Him taking on the wrath of God for all who will believe, and if He did not resurrect from the dead, then we would still be lost in our sins. Without that, there is no church. When we make the point anything other than that, then what we do is not being the church. You're just gathering together for an awesome TED Talk. If you're not focused on Christ, you're just coming together for a self-help seminar. It's not the church. When Christ is not the point, it is not a church. The reason for that is because there is no restoration of relationship between us and God the Father without Christ. Without Christ, there's no hope. There's nothing to build on. Without Christ, there is only separation from God. Without Christ, there is only condemnation and wrath waiting for each of us. In Christ, we have redemption. In Christ, we have forgiveness of sin. And so we have to build the church on that and that alone. And Paul wants the Corinthian church to focus on that. He said he laid the foundation for the church, which is important work. Right? He cut the path through the Corinthian city so that they could hear the truth. He was willing to do that. It's important. And then Apollos came along, also important, willing to go through all the persecution that probably came from that city, from that area, and he was willing to build on that foundation. It's also important work. So we're not saying that the work itself isn't important, but it's not the point. Now, there will be others who will come along and they will build on that even further and none of them, none of that work is any more important than the rest of the work because all that work is doing is pointing back to Christ. That work should mature you in your faith by pointing back to Christ. That work should lead you to do work of your own by pointing back to Christ. And that work should leave the church better than how it was found by pointing back to Christ. It's all about Jesus. And if we build on the foundation of the church with anything other than laser-like focus on the life, death, and resurrection of Christ, then we are wasting our time. Because nothing other than that will last. That's what Paul is talking about in verse 12 and 13 when he says, If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. As Paul describes the building materials in verse 12, notice that three of the six materials there are precious and expensive. You've got gold, silver, and costly stones. The other three are common and extremely flammable. Right? You've got wood, hay, or straw. The three precious and expensive materials, they need to be seen as work that focuses, focuses on Christ with the proper motives, the proper method, and the proper goals. 
And it's not just work. We're not just talking about doing things. Because we can have the wrong motive, we can have the wrong method, and we can have the wrong goals in the work that's done. It's not just about being busy. There's a lot of work done in the name of Christ, and it often has the wrong intentions at heart. We must remember in those instances that God is not deceived. God is not mocked. Just because someone comes out here and they say some things about Jesus, but in reality they're telling you that it's all about them, God is not being, God, He's not confused. He sees through the ruse. He sees to the motivation of the heart. So the motivation matters. The method matters. The proper goals matter. When we're serving God's kingdom, the motive should always be the glorification of Christ in all things. We don't do things just to do them. We do them to make much of Christ. We do them to, to give people the opportunity to hear about Christ. The method can change. The method can change to help meet a changing culture. For example, as our culture has become more and more individualistic, as we get into a place where people go to work, they come home, they drive into the garage, they push the button, the garage door comes down, and you don't see them again until they leave for work the next day, then the methodology has to change, right? When that happens, they, there's go away is basically written on the back of the garage door. They have no desire for someone to come and start knocking on their door to have a conversation. So what we have seen in our culture is that door-to-door evangelism is, has become less effective than it used to be. Right? Someone told me a story about how they went evangelizing around here many, many years ago. And when they knocked on the door, the person came to the door and said, I didn't move all the way out here to be bothered by you. I came out here to, to get away from people, to not be bothered. And so if, if people knock on your door now, what you see is people diving behind couches so that they don't have to answer the door. Right? They're hoping, like, don't move. Maybe they'll go away. That's how people respond to people knocking on the door. So now the method that is more effective is evangelism that comes through our personal relationships. Right? We invest in people, not to make them a project, but so that we might earn the opportunity to tell them about the beautiful work of Christ on the cross. Right? It's, it's not because I want to check a box, I want to put a notch on my belt, I want to have some kind of a checklist in heaven where God says, hey, good job, you did that. What I want is for you to love the Lord the way that I love the Lord. I want you to see the truth. And personal relationship is the way that people see that you are legit in your love for them. Right? How do I know that this guy loves me because he's there for me. He's always there when I call. He's always there when I need him. He always shows up. He's consistent. And he's all the time talking about Jesus. So not only do I know that he loves me, I know that he loves Christ. The method has to change with the changing culture. right? The message stays the same. The motive stays the same. But sometimes the method has to change. And the goal is to make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. That's Matthew 28, 18-20. So that there will be a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one can number, standing before the throne of God, crying out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne and to the Lamb. That's Revelation 7, 9 to 10. 
That's the goal. There's work to be done. This is what we are building with. If we build with the right motivation, with the proper methods and the proper goals, we're building with that expensive material. The material that doesn't burn up when it's tested by God. On the flip side of that, there are materials that are common and flammable. These materials need to be seen as things that do not have Christ as their focus. These materials could be any number of things, but ultimately it's church activities that don't focus on things that aren't Christ. It could be churches that are focused on the personality of their pastor rather than Christ. It's all about that guy. It's about what he says and what he does. And he's the one that is the focus. That's very flammable. It can be a church that's more focused on the programs it provides for the community rather than Christ. We can do a lot of good things from this place. But if Christ isn't the focus, then it's just a waste of time. It's flammable. It can be a church that's more focused on politics than it is on Christ. If someone gets up here and starts preaching the red side or the blue side, and it's not about Jesus, it's, it's wasting time. It's flammable. It can be a church that's more focused on social agendas than it is on Christ. Again, we can help a lot of people from this place, but if we're not doing it with Christ as our focus, then it's flammable. It's going to burn up. And in all of these situations, there's likely some Jesus sprinkled in all of it, but when the things themselves become the focus as opposed to keeping Christ as the focus, then the work itself will not stand up under the judgment of God, which Paul says is coming in verse 13. In verse 13, he says, For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. That day that Paul is talking about here is called the judgment seat of Christ or the Bema seat. At the judgment seat of Christ, believers will face judgment and the, what will be judged at this judgment is the quality of the service of the work that they done, have done for Christ. But the, this is not salvation judgment. That's the great white throne judgment. We don't face the great white throne judgment because we are in Christ. But Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 9 and 10, it says, Therefore, whether we are at home or away... We make it our aim to be pleasing to Him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may be repaid for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil. So there is a day coming when all believers in Christ will give an account of how they live their life after coming to faith in Christ. This is going to be a time of examination on how we serve the kingdom of God. This is going to be an examination of how we use the time, the talent, and the treasure that God has given us in this life. Did we use what God gave us for His glory? Did we use it for His purpose? Or did we use what God gave us to focus on ourselves? We're going to be held accountable for how we utilize these things for God's kingdom. The works that were done for Christ with the proper motive that tried to accomplish the goal of the Great Commission, those are going to stand firm when tested by fire, and these will be rewarded. 
I have long said I have no idea what the reward could possibly be. What could be better than Christ? But there seems to be levels of reward in heaven. And the more that we do for the kingdom of God, the more that we're going to be rewarded. The works that are not properly motivated, the works that don't focus on obtaining our goals, that when they focus on us, when they focus on our desires, they're going to be burned up. There's no substance to these things, and therefore they're not going to last. And I can't think of anything worse than spending our entire lives pouring ourselves out for stuff that's not going to last for eternity. It might make our lives awesome for 60, 70, or 80 years, but we're willing to sacrifice eternity with those rewards for 60 and 70 and 80 years here? It makes no sense. That's bad math. Paul says that the one whose work is burned up, they're going to experience loss. Again, I don't, I don't fully understand how this is going to play out. Right? Because even with loss, he says they're still saved. They're still standing in the presence of the king. But they're going to experience loss. They're not going to get the same rewards as those who have poured themselves out for God's kingdom. It's not a, it's not a salvation issue. I want to make sure that I, that I have that very clear. Right? Salvation is by grace through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. There's nothing that you can do to add to it. There's nothing that you can do to take away from it. It's only through Christ that we are saved. This is not a salvation issue. What this is is an issue of priorities and focus about what you did with the information that God gave you after you came to faith in Christ. What did you do with that? What did you do with the spiritual gifts that God has given you? What did you do with the knowledge of Him? You're like, I don't know that much about Christ. I don't know that much about the Bible. He gave you the Bible and you can read. So read the Bible. Spend time studying and then pour that into someone else whenever you have the opportunity. He's given you the same amount of time in every single week that He's given everyone else. Like, I just don't have time for that. There might be a season where that's absolutely true. I can attest to that. I am in a season right now where my life is incredibly busy with five kids and one of them that is constantly sick. Like, I get it. I get it. There are seasons where we are not going to be able to pour into the, the larger church and we have to focus on our family, our co-workers, the people that are close to us because it's a difficult time. But are we pouring ourselves out for those things or are we just bringing in more for myself? I'm going to bring in more money. I'm going to bring in more vacation time. I'm going to bring in more toys to play with. And it's all focused on me. Are you doing things that matter for God's kingdom or are you focused primarily on your kingdom? There will be a day when all of that will be tested. There will be a day when all of that work that you have put in will either stand up to the test of fire or it will be burned up and you're going to come out of that. You will be okay, but you're going to be smoking a little bit. This is the question that we need to ask ourselves here this morning as followers of Christ. What am I doing with my life? 
Am I investing my time, my talent, my treasure into things that matter and that will withstand the judgment at the Bema seat? Or am I wasting my life on things that don't have any ultimate worth? No one in heaven is going to care at all how much money you have or had. No one in heaven is going to care how many cars you had or how many houses you had. Nobody's going to care how many national championships you won. Nobody's going to care how high up you rose in your company. No one's going to care about the awards you won or how many of your favorite things that you collected. That's not going to matter in heaven. The only person in heaven is going to care about how much time you spent chasing all of these things in your life is going to be you. Because it's going to cost you greatly. It's not costing you salvation, but it's going to cost you reward. What does that look like? I don't know. What could be greater than Christ? I don't know. But it's going to cost ultimate rewards in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have these things. I'm not saying that you can't pursue these things. None of them are inherently wrong. Right? It's not wrong to have money. God blesses us with money so that we can be a blessing to others. It's not wrong to have... I know several people who have an additional house in this area that have used it to house missionaries as they come home and they need a break. And so they put people up or if there's someone close to a hospital with an extra house and like, hey you can stay there for free so that you don't have to have a hotel or you know if the Ronald McDonald house is full or something like that here's a place where you can stay I will use this to serve you it's not wrong that's not wrong right we've got a, a car that's down right now two cars and so I've got a, a little pickup that we're trying to drive around if you had a third car and you could loan that that would have that would be great Right? There's nothing wrong with that. But it's being willing to be open-handed with the things that God has given us. It's being willing to share that with the church and to share that and sell it if need be. That's what the church in Acts did. As people had need, they sold their extra so that there was no needs within the church. I'm concerned, though, that many Christians in our culture, they're going to come to find out that they wasted their life by chasing the American dream. By trying to get as much for themselves as they could. And when they stand before God at this judgment, they're going to watch all that effort and all that time, all that money is going to burn up and they're going to watch it go up in smoke. They received their salvation and they felt like that was enough for them. And then they build on the foundation of Christ's atoning sacrifice for their soul and something that gets burned to ash. In that moment, there may be regret for how they chose to live. Paul says you're going to experience loss. And I don't want anyone here with us today to experience that regret. And I want to encourage everyone to here to live a life sold out for Christ. To live for the things of His kingdom so that when we stand before Jesus and we give Him a, an account of how we used what He gave what he gave us, we hear from him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Don't give up joy for the things of this world. Don't give up your master's joy for things that will not last in eternity. That's what I want for you. That's what I want for myself. I don't want to miss out on whatever the treasure in heaven is. I don't know what it is, but I want it. I know I want it. 
and I want more of it. I don't want to miss out on those things because I'm too busy pursuing the things of this world, things that will ultimately not satisfy, things that will ultimately be burned up. That is a garbage trade. It's not worth it. Christ is going to judge what we taught. He's going to judge what we believed. He's going to judge what we lived before others. So let's not focus the majority of our time living for ourselves. Let's focus that on Him. Let's pour ourselves out for Him. Let's sacrifice for Him. And I can assure you, church, you will not regret it. Let's pray. Father, it is my desire to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And I ask, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts so that that is the desire of every person here within the sound of my voice. I pray that you would open our eyes to the truth that there is nothing in this world worth sacrificing everything that you're going to give us in heaven. I pray that we would be mindful that our motives need to be bringing you glory in all that we think, say, and do. And what I pray that our goal is to make disciples of all nations. That we would do our very best to push back the darkness. And where we would use whatever method works for reaching those who are far from you. And God, I pray that if there is anybody here today that is far from you, that today would be the day that they realize that they've been living for the wrong thing. They would realize that they're not good enough to be in relationship with you and that they need Jesus. Lord, today would be the day that you changed their heart. Help us to see with spiritual eyes. Help us to develop our spiritual maturity. Lord, encourage us to pour ourselves out for the benefit of others. We can't do any of this without the work of Christ in our life, though, and without the work of the Holy Spirit. So I ask for that here today. Lord, it's in your son's precious name that I pray. Amen.